at something. Uh, as we come to the end of 2020, and uh, oh, what a year it has been, and uh, as we begin to think about the new year, 2021, and it doesn't look like it's going to be much different than 2020, um, it, as we get begin to kind of look at things and begin to think about things this time of year, you, I sit and go back down through and look at and uh, kind of make plans for 2021, um, personally and ministry-wise. Uh, something floated across the news uh, this past week, and I thought it was rather interesting. The word of the year, according to Webster's Dictionary and Dictionary.com, is the word pandemic. And apparently it was looked up the most. And you go over to another dictionary, and you'll see lockdown as, as the word. But pandemic tends to be the big word, and I got to thinking about pandemic and that, the word and everything, and I began to think about something that Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14 and in verse 19, so I just wanted to, to just look at it this morning. Someone's already commented that the references are, the page is a little light. If I gave you everything in my notes, you would only have, you would have like two pages full size, so I just give you the highlights, and I didn't want to scare anybody, okay? So if you look at verse number 19, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, and as we look at this issue of speaking five words with our understanding, we just do so for your honor and for your glory, and enjoy what the five words of the year are. And we'll, in your name we pray, amen. It's interesting, Paul says here, I would rather speak five words with my understanding. And we've been looking at the issues of how to know what's going on and how to respond to what's happening in the world today. And we were looking at the issue of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, and with all that. And it's interesting here that Paul would say, yet in the church, I had rather speak Five words. Now, one word, pandemic's the word of the year. You know, they all do that. But there are five words, and all through Scripture, there are, there's five words that kind of come together. And when you begin to talk about five words, now, in the context here, verse 19, just real quickly, Paul is talking about speaking in tongues. He's talking about the sign gift program. If you look down at verse 22, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. So speaking in tongues, the tongue gift doesn't belong to the believe. It's not for the believers. It's for the unbelievers. If you scroll over to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and verse 22, he says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So the issue of the signs... And the sign gifts in chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul deals with them and so that you would understand the, the gifts that were at work at the time. And in, in historically, in the beginning here of the church, the body of Christ. The sign gift program belongs to the nation of Israel. In John 4, verse 48, he says, the Jews, uh, well, 122, the Jews require a sign. And over in John, I better read it to you so I don't butcher it. I butchered one earlier today already, so we're not. He says, then said Jesus unto them, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now the Lord's talking to the nation of Israel, and what do they see? What do they need to see? 
signs. You go back into Psalm 74, and, he sa- and they cry out, show us our signs. They look at the Lord and they say, if you'll just show us one more sign, then we'll believe who you say you are. And you know what happens with the issue of signs belongs to the nation of Israel, but yet for the church, the body of Christ, in the very beginning, there were very specific signs happening to get the information out, to move things along before the word of God was complete. The two great signs of, uh, of the, come back with me, Just I told you, Matthew 10. Just, just to look at this real quick here, Matthew 10. To the two great signs in the nation of Israel, Matthew 10, verse number 1. Are, start really back with Moses. But notice here in 10.1, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. You see those two signs? Those are the two great signs of the kingdom. And it started with God talked to Moses back in Exodus. And he took to Moses and he said, Take your hand, stick it in your bosom, pull it out, and what did it come out as? Do you remember? Leprosy, a, a picture, a type of sin. Then he says, put it back in, pull it back out, and it was healed. You know, smooth as a newborn baby's skin. All right? So it's healed. Then he, then he looked at, then he looked at uh, Moses, and he says, you take that rod, and you cast it down. And what did it turn into? A king snake. Okay? Turned into a big one. Then you reach down there, pick it up, and what did it become back again? A rod, a staff. The sign of dealing, who's the serpent in Scripture? Satan, the sign of dealing with, the, with, the, with demons. So the two governing signs, that's why Matthew 10, he says, power against unclean spirits, cast them out, and then they heal all manner of disease and sickness. The two great signs that the deliverer was there in their presence were these two signs of dealing with Satan and dealing with sin. Now, the Lord does it. Luke 8 over there, he says he was preaching and showing the kingdom. He's over here preaching the word. Then he's doing signs to back up the word he just preached. And when he does that, he's demonstrating to the nation of Israel that he is the deliverer and he's the one that was sent to do it for them. Now they reject him and so forth. But back here in 1 Corinthians 14, this is the body of Christ. This is not Israel. And Paul says, look guys, I would rather, there's something going on with the sign gifts here. I would rather speak five words than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Now, the Corinthians, by the way, Paul uses, are you back in 1 Corinthians 14? If not, you need to be. Paul uses tongues as an illustrative gift because this is the gift that the Corinthians were abusing. Because when you speak in tongues, when you speak, what happens in the room? When Rick speaks, everyone listens, right? Everybody pays attention. It's not, who was that, E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens, right? When Rick speaks, everybody leaves. <laughs> Get out of here. No, what happens is, is it, you, become, you become important. People are looking at you. So they're abusing it. And the wonderful thing is, verse 23, 1423, notice, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues. Now, were they all supposed to be speaking with tongues? The answer is no. You go back to chapter 12 where he begins to lay out the issues here. 
verse 28, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of the healings, helps, governments, diversity of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to those questions is no. The Spirit gives specific men in the group to do that. So when you come into this, by the way, come on, look over at chapter 13. What's going to happen in verse 8? Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be what? Tongues, they shall what? Cease. When the completed revelation of the word of God comes into play, then all the partial, verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When all of the, when the completed word of God, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, when it all comes together, Ephesians 4, he says, when we come into the unity here, when all that, you know what's going to stop? The sign gifts. They're going to cease. They're going to quit. Now, Paul starts by talking about five, speaking just five words from my understanding. Come back with me to the book of Genesis. I just want to spend the morning looking at that issue of five words. The number five. And, and you should, I hope to do this one to kind of prick your thinking as you're reading through to find five words together, okay? But also to just kind of bring us back to center because of what's going on. When you think about the number five, Genesis, how many chapters are in Genesis? How many? Fifty. You can take each chapter in Genesis, the number, go to Genesis 5, the number five. You can take the number 1, you can take the number 10, the 15, the 12, the 40, the whole bit, and you run to that chapter in Genesis, and it will give you the definition of that number in the chapter, what he's talking about. The number 5 in, in Scripture is related to the number of death and grace. In chapter 5 of Genesis, notice verse 5. All the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he what? Everybody in that chapter but Enoch died. So five gets associated with death. Okay? But it's also associated with grace. Because where do we get God's grace? At the cross. Where who died? Christ died. So death and grace, they're, they're connected there. So if you ever hear someone say five means number of death, by the way, 13 is the number of rebellion. Paul's the 13th apostle, the Gentile number. Okay, 12 is a number of perfection, governmental structure. It's Israel's number. Do you know who was established in Genesis 12? A guy named Abraham. That was going to be a father of many nations, and out of him was going to come the seed. See, it's, it's right there. You, you just work that thing down. Come to Genesis 1. The first five words in Scripture are right here. In the beginning, God 
In the beginning, God created. There's the first five words. The foundation of all of humanity, all of history, all of life, everything starts right here in the first five words. Genesis 1.1 is a verse you've got to get straight in your thinking for the rest of the book, the rest of God's word to mean anything to be understandable. God did what? He created. These first five words kill every philosophy developed by man to say that there is no God or God didn't create. God created. If God created, then he's what? He's outside of creation. See? Then he says it had a beginning. God cre- In the beginning, God created. Creation had a beginning. So there goes materialism. It's gone. God personally gets involved. There goes deism. Deism says there is a God, but we're not really sure where, how, or what he looks like. But deism's gone. Why? Because he's there. All of the philosophies, theories, thoughts, evolution is killed by right there. Science is dealt with. Why? Because God did what? He created. So these first five words are crucial. They are vitally important. Come over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. They, they, are, they are critical to get straight. Romans chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. Here's verse 19. Think about, think about, oh, excuse me. The number of man is what number? Six. You know why? Because on the sixth day, man was created. Okay? When man's created, what is man created with a knowledge of? God. Romans 1, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifested, where? In them, for God has showed it unto them. So in man is a, is a belief that there is a God. Again, we're not sure what he looks like, who we're going to call him, but there is a higher power, you'll hear people say. Okay? Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Isn't that interesting? Being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All of mankind, everybody, even the atheist, you know, by the way, if you say you're an atheist, you know what you believe in? A God. Because you're mad at him and you're arguing against him. So you have to believe that there's a God. You look at the top guys that are atheists, uh, one of them just passed away a last couple years ago. You know what? He knew more about God than most of you guys sitting in this seat. You know why? Because he's constantly arguing against. You know, he believed, the moment that he died, he believed that there was a God. Because he woke up somewhere, in heaven or in hell. Okay? All of mankind know that there's a God. They are without excuse. They know that they're going to stand before him in judgment. So that's why Genesis 1.1, the first five words, in the beginning God created, is so important. Come over to chapter 5 of Romans. The next five words, chapter 5 of Romans, in verse number 12. Romans 5, in verse number 12. In... 
in the beginning, God created. The next five words. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered. By, whoops, by one man sin entered. I wasn't going to write these up here, but I am now, so. There's a problem, isn't there, now in the humanity? As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We got a problem, don't we? It's called Adam. It's called sin. By nature, that's who we are, all of humanity. Drop down to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man disobedience, I'm sorry, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We have a problem. All of humanity is born in rebellion against God. We're born in Adam's image. I know what people say, oh, we're made in God's image. No, the only person ever made in God's image was Adam and Eve, Genesis 1. In Genesis 5, Adam makes Seth in his image. Why? Because what happened in Genesis 3? For by one man, sin entered into the world. Sin gets introduced. So by nature now, all of mankind has a problem. It's called death. It's called sin. We are spiritually dead. There's no hope for you. By the way, good morning. <laughs> happy, happy, happy. No, no, there's no hope. There's nothing that we can do. We're, we are dead. You know, you go to the funeral. Come over to 1 Corinthians 15. You go over to the funeral. You walk up to that coffin. The person's been there. Maybe they've suffered all their days. But guess what? Death did to them. Released them from that suffering body. But are they there? Can you give them some self-help tapes to help them out? <laughs> or Dave Ramsey, make them financially independent. Can you do that? No, why? Because they're dead. There's nothing there. There's no help for them. So if we're dead, then what do we need? What do we need? Life, don't we? So 15.3, the next five words. Christ died for my sins, right? Our sins, sorry. Well, he did die for your sins. <laughs> sorry, get the verse right, Rick. Our sins. There's the, the next five. What did God do? We couldn't do it on our own, so what did he do? Romans 5, 8. But God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know that God's love, everybody wants to have the love of God, the power of God. God's love is connected to Calvary, to the cross, where he did everything for us. By the way, look at verse 4. Next five words there. And that he was buried. And that he was buried. 
there's the next words. So we've got death, we've got a burial, right? Verse 5, and that he was seen. Now we've got a scene, but by the way, verse 4 there again, sorry, rose again the third, the third day. So we've got resurrection, don't we? You see how you've got these five little five words all through here? Because what do we need? We need that help. We need him. We are dead. <laughs> dead. And we need life. So we are what? We got the five words of the gospel here all listed for us. By the way, the theory is in his death and resurrection. The He was buried and, it, and he was seen is a historical validation of the event. The doctrine, death, resurrection. Paul gets called into question by the Jews because he preached that Christ died, was buried, and what? rose again, and he's like, you guys believe in the resurrection of the dead? I'm just preaching the same thing. I'm just talking about a guy you guys don't like. And what do you have here? You have the fact that our faith doesn't rest in an enigma. You listen to them. I do. You hear them all. Oh, it can't really be what it is. You know, it's got to be the, it was all fake. It's all phony. You go through the gospel you go through the gospel accounts of, of, of the resurrection and Pilate and, the, and all those, and Herod and those guys are pulling the guys in, the, the soldiers in, and they're like, listen, if somebody says something to you about where's his body, you say his disciples came in the night and took him. Fake news. Way back there. Politicians at work. Now you think about that. First of all, they put a seal on the tomb, didn't they? Then they put two centurion Roman soldiers there, the bad boys, the Green Beret types. Nobody's going to, yeah, could you imagine Mary, Mary Magdalene, come up there and give them the old, you know, Bruce Lee moves and knock them down? No, I don't think so either. You know what they said? You tell people you fell asleep. Could you imagine telling a Roman guard to lie, especially about falling asleep on duty? They don't do that. He says, nope. The resurrection and the death, there's the doctrine. The burial and being seen is the facts of the matter. Our faith doesn't rest in theory. It doesn't rest in superstition. Our faith rests in historical, validated facts. Here are the facts, and here's what they are. Christ died for our sins. Come over to Ephesians 4. The next five words, Ephesians 4. I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, my bad. Ephesians 2. The next five words, look at the parenthesis, by grace, right? The parenthesis, Ephesians 2, verse 5, Even when we were dead in sins, which, hath, uh, which uh, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. 
Boy, isn't that great? That's wonderful. What tremendous news. Drop down to verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Boy, you know what grace says? I'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'll take care. You can't pay your debt penalty. You can't get yourself out of sin. You can't work enough. You go back to Romans 4. What did Abraham learn concerning the flesh? It doesn't say learn about his flesh. He says learn concerning the flesh. That you know what? If in my flesh I try to do something, I still owe a debt. And the grace of God says, you can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. Grace is available to everyone. It has nothing to do with activity. It's not based on your work. It's not based on you doing and living right and doing all this stuff. It's based on his work. It's based on, on what he has accomplished. And what happens then is people say, well, yeah, but Ricky, man, if you tell people that over there, then over here in living, you know what, then God's just going to nail them and put them back under the law and make them do. And you know what God's grace says? I will never treat you worse than I would ever treat an unsaved person. If you're in my family, if you belong to me, if you're a children of me, saints of the Most High God, my grace will never cause you, ask you, demand of you to live life under the law. It'll never do that. I would, I'll treat you much more. I'll treat you better. God's grace never treats his children different or in a worse manner than the unsaved. And you know what, I'll be honest with you, we need to preach that to ourselves every day. Because what happens in life? By grace ye are saved, right? It's not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what happens? We, we know we're saved by grace, but then when we start working and we start living life and we start trying to go down through things and do things and accomplish stuff in life, and you know what begins to happen? We put ourselves on the treadmill called performance-based acceptance. And we begin to work it, and we begin to try to do, and you know what happens? Have you ever been on a treadmill? After, man, about 30 seconds, I'm done. No, I get frowns on that. I, I last longer than that, at least a minute. I mean, come on, you know. But what happens? You get on that treadmill, eventually you get what? Tired. Eventually you get done. And you know what happens? You go over here and you say, I'm done, I quit, I'm out of it, and you quit. And rather, you know what God's grace says? Oh, no, don't do that. i got a life for you to live. Come over to Colossians 2. I've got something for you to do. Colossians 2, verse 10. The next one. Ye and ye are complete in him. Boy, what tremendous thing. By grace, here you are. By grace are you saved. I've, and because you're mine, you know what I did? I made you complete. And again, your completion is in who God's made you in his son, not what you're doing. Because you're on that treadmill of performing. You know, I'm not going to try to run. But man, when you're on that treadmill, you know what happens? 
You'll get tired, but when you relax in who you are in Christ, He never gets tired. And you're able to function. And when we trust Christ, our identity, we come out of Adam and we're identified in Christ and we're given His life and His death has become our death and His burial has become our burial and His resurrection has become our resurrection. His life has become our life and we are complete. We're not lacking anything. We have it all. Galatians 2 verse 20, in connection with this, nevertheless... Nope, it's the first ones. I am crucified with him, right? I'm crucified with Christ. What's Galatians 2.20 say? Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. But Christ liveth in me. You can do this all day with five words. What's going on here? I'm crucified with Christ. I don't have to strive to have victory. I'm not over here slaving away trying to do. And by the way, I'm not talking about all this, you get all this stuff and you don't have to do anything. We do good works because we already have. We do stuff because we already have gotten everything. That's the completion in Christ. That's where we stand. That's where we're at. Christ has already defeated our enemy. He has defeated our flesh. He has defeated the enmity that sat between himself and and I. And you know what he did? He gave me his life in place of it. That That beats that word pandemic all day long. Just five little words. The life which I now live in the flesh. Think about that. We're complete in him. All of the capacity that we need to live and to grow, we have. There's nothing to be added to it. There's nothing left out of it. There's nothing we're going to lose. We have it all. We are to now go and just grow. That's wonderful. We're to just grow. We're to take all of that we have, all that who we are, and bring it into the details of life. As we end 2020 and we think about what a, boy, for some it was a wonderful year. For others it was horrible. For some of us it was, you know, it was in the middle. <laughs> okay? But when you begin to think about the past year, make plans for the first, bring all of those, de- all of that You're to bring the details of of who you are in Christ, the completion, the being crucified, and you're to bring that into the details of life, the process of learning who you are in Christ. When you begin to do that, man, life takes on a whole new meaning, takes on a whole new thing for you. Where you live, Think about where you live, what you do, what you like to do. Think, think about that. Think about the role that you are in. Are you a dad? Are you a mom, a husband, a wife, a single person, a grandparent, an employee, a boss, a child? Children obey your parents in the Lord. <laughs> you know? 
where you're at. Think about where you're at. You're to take all that you are, where you're at, and you're to go live in those roles, that role that you live in, that life. And you know what you're to put on display? Here's how Christ lives in that role. How does Christ look in the light in your life as a grandparent? Some most some of your grandparents. How does that look? It'll look different when I when if if I ever be a grandpa. <laughs> It'll look different for, than it does for you because why? You have your life, I have my life. How does that look? How here's how Christ would live there and look there and we take our completion and we take not I but Christ and we begin to grow in that and we begin to live it day by day. How does that look on your job as a boss? I know we talk about employees. Well, let's talk about the boss. You go read Ephesians 6 over there and he's very clear to the bosses to, be, to, remind, to remember that you've got a master in heaven as well. And how did your master in heaven deal with you? So then when you're the master over people here, maybe you have a picture of how to be a boss. Yeah, but Rick, we got things to do. It doesn't say don't get things done. It just says there's an attitude about it. You you, you follow that? Do you need to see that? I mean, that's wonderful. Just look over there, Ephesians 6. I know because the, the easy one is verse 5. They're servants, you know, singleness of mind and of your heart unto Christ. And verse 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. And we go, yeah, there you go. There's the attitude of the worker. But, man, look at verse 9. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, Why in the world would he say forbearing, threatening? What is the tendency of a boss to do what? To threaten, to scream, to to get in there and motivate you to get the job done. So if you don't get the job done, you're going to lose your job. Right? He says forbear that. Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Boy, what a, I look at that, I read that, I go, I've never been a boss, (laughs) but I tell you what, if I was, that verse would help. How does your master in heaven deal with you? Does he threaten you, or does he, he says, no, you're, you're over here. There's an attitude here. Now, I know everybody we work with or work under us isn't saved. I got that, but you know what? There's an attitude of, hey, here's what Christ would look like as a boss. Just as verse 5 and 6 and 7 there, here is what Christ would look like as a employee. You see, you're to take all of those, all of that learning. I'll be honest with you, verse 5, 6, and 7, as as an employee, it takes a lifetime to learn to do that, to be that way. Come over to Titus chapter 2. We're to take all of that information. 
and we're to come along and we're to bring it into our daily lives. What does it look like? I've been watching the news. I know you have too, and they're talking about shutdowns and and this and that and and so forth with with uh, the with the virus and the pandemic and the COVID and all. And and I begin to look at that. And and you know, I was watching a thing about nurses and and what they go through and they do. And you know what? My heart breaks for nurses because they're put in a tough situation. They chose to be there, by the way. It's the profession they chose. But I think about those guys and, and how to go in and have a, a happy heart in dealing with that environment. I think about teachers. I think about bus drivers. I went to, called back to where I was bus driving, and they told me what was going to be mandated, and I told them I retire. <laughs> and my resignation will be the end of the school year. So and I'm not coming back. That's what that means. And they're like, well, why? And I said, because I am not going to drive around in a bus with no kids on with a mask on. It's counterproductive. It's just not going to happen. I don't mind doing all the other stuff. Well, it, well, come to find out, if they see you, guess what's going to happen? You're terminated if you're not wearing a mask. And now, this was at the time, earlier in the year. Okay? I don't know what it is now because I told them I quit. And guess what happened at the end of May? Rick is done. <laughs> all right? But see, the thing of it is, as I think about that, how to have a happy heart in that if you choose to be in that environment. How would Christ look behind the, the, the wheel of a school bus? I thought about that all the days of my school bus driving. How would Christ do that? Suffer your little ones to come unto me. <laughs> Get on, let's go. You know, sit down, shut up, here we go. <laughs> you know? I personally, I think he would give them a little a little relaxation juice and get them to calm down. But, but uh, anyway, you, that's how you think about this. You're complete in him. I'm crucified with Christ. Think about that. That's what li- how would life, how would Christ look in your life? Titus 2, verse 13 An exciting passage, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a, what kind of people? I love that, peculiar people. That word peculiar, to belong to. Zealous of good works. The next five words is that issue of looking for, what, how does it say it? I just, that blessed hope, looking for that blessed hope. Isn't that what we're looking for? Looking for that blessed hope. One, two, three. Four, five, six, and seven. We're looking for that blessed hope. What a great future that's ahead for us. By the way, verse 14 there, who gave himself for us that he might redeem redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, that issue of belonging to him. Zealous of what? 
Why do we do the good works? To gain or because we already have? Because we already have. You don't gain a step. You don't lose a step either, by the way. So we go do the good works because who are we're peculiar. We belong to him. 2 Corinthians 5. You go read 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, 16. We know that he, we therefore judge for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. The next verse he says that those that live should not live unto themselves, but live unto him who loved them and gave himself for us. Man, that's what it is. We come in and we take everything that we have and who we are in our life and we put it on display in our life. Why? Because we're looking for that blessed hope. We've got a future ahead of us. By the way, Paul never, never, ever, ever, ever says, I'm looking to go die and go to heaven. He never says that. You know what he says? I'm looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what he says? Romans over there, 8, he says, we're waiting. 1 Thessalonians 1, we're waiting for his son, the son. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to do what? Come back, catch us home, carry us off into glory, in the dispensation of grace, set the church, the body of Christ in its place, go through all of those events we've spent the whole year, a big chunk of the year, studying the heavenly places. Go to the judgment seat of Christ. Go in and see all of that. Get, get our certification of our inner man. Get that gold, silver, and precious stones, the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Get all of that established, and then go and be presented to the Father. Take in Ephesians 2, verse 7, and put on display for the ages to come. And because in us is manifested the glory of God. There it is. And you know where that comes? It comes in these five words. Because what are we doing? We are looking for. Boy, what a great day that will be. And you know what we're to do right now? We're to live in light of what? That day coming. We're to live in the light of what God's doing with us in eternity, in the future. So five words that beat pandemic all day long. It starts with, in the beginning, God created. Now that gets interrupted by one man's sin entered into the, into the world. It gets interrupted by one man's sin entered in. But that gets answered by Christ died for our sins. And it became real when it's by grace are you saved. It has an impact because ye are complete in him. And we are crucified with Christ. And now we are looking for that blessed hope. What a great day. As we end December end of the year with the beginning of December and as you begin to think about Christmas is coming and everything and all the stuff boy don't miss the five words now you can find these five words everywhere but these are five critical seven five critical words and again it'll be pandemic all day long 
It'll be the lockdown. It, by the way, this will help you get through the lockdown. Because where are you focusing? In these five words, not in the craziness of the moment. Okay? So as we come to the end, don't forget your five words. All right? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we have in your son. And Lord, I just pray that it would become real in our lives. And it will become evident in our lives as we learn, as we grow, and as we process and as we walk through not only the sound doctrine, but through life, applying the sound doctrine to our lives and give you the honor and you the glory so that we can make all men see you and see our fellowship that we have with you for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.